Do you think you could survive a nuclear war? I'm going to show you that it's entirely possible. Come on, let's go take a look. Hello everyone, Dr. Chris Martinson here, and a very somber topic for you today because uh, obviously the things that are right now in the context of when I'm recording this in March of 2022, there's a war in Ukraine right now and uh, tensions between Russia and the West are, are quite high. So this is a tension that's been going on for a long time. In part two of this report, I will be talking about, well, I've been tracking this tension all the way back as far as 2011. So it's been a while, and uh, but now it seems actually quite serious. So, hey, let's just go through, I think, something that's a really um, somber but important topic. And, and that's, you know, a lot of people think, you know, nuclear war, if it gets to that, I won't survive. Hey, listen, if you're right under the blast, you won't. But for everybody else, it's actually a lot more survivable than you think. And so I want to talk to you today about how that would, how you'd go about that. But I want to give you the, you know me, I'm going to give you the essential context for um, this, uh, the science behind it. So what is the science and what do you need to know? And I think having that understanding, it helps you, I think, helps me understand how you would formulate a strategy. So let's go there. This is episode 51, How to Survive a nuclear war. As always, my personal motto is, I'd rather be a year early than a day late, especially when it comes to preparations like these. By the way, these are the sorts of preparations that you make, and then you forget about them, and hopefully you never have to use them. But at least you've been there, done that, and had thought processes, and more importantly, gotten the items that you need. This is what a 10 megaton blast in New York City would look like, and it's got a breeze from the southwest, and so it's blowing a big plume of radiation off to the northeast and uh, looks bad and it is bad trust me we don't want to be anywhere near that i would be under this uh, band over here of yellow orangey badness and so um what does that actually mean so there's some terms on there a thousand rads per hour you probably don't know what that means i didn't until i started researching this and looking into it so let's uh let's decode this a little bit all right First thing we need to know is not all radiation is the same. There's no one thing called radiation. It comes, there's a spectrum of radiation types. You're surrounded by radiation. The fact that you're listening to this right now, you're bathed in a certain amount of electromagnetic radiation. You're bathed in uh, cell phone signals, and you've got uh, electromagnetic pulses all around you. As well, cosmic rays sneak through every so often. You probably live near, if you've ever had, if you ever stood near a chip of bananas, dried bananas at the store, those little chips, if you ever put a Geiger counter on those, man, those things are screaming hot. They're clicking away, right? Um, why? Because there's potassium in there. Potassium has a natural amount of potassium, 40, which is a radioactive element. So we've grown up. Here's the good news. That's why I'm telling you this. We've evolved around and in the context of having radiation around us. So guess what? Ionizing radiation by itself is not unsurvivable. In fact, it's something that our bodies have repair mechanisms for. We're expecting a certain amount of it. The issue with all things in life is... What happens if you get too much? So we're going to break the types of radiation down into its two principal components, right? So there are particles that we have to worry about. And then there's electromagnetic radiation, which is photons, which is um, like X-rays, gamma rays, things like that. So let's start here. Alpha particles is, uh, let me get my drawing tool out here real quick. Let me see where this is. Do, do, do. Um... Drawn tool went away. Huh. Interesting. 
Well, I'll just point to it then. My drawing tool seems to have. I don't know. They just moved. Just got moved. Ha! Huh. Got my drawing tool. We're back in business. Let's do this. Okay, alpha particles. Alpha particles are these big giant things which are ejected from the nucleus, and they consist of uh, two protons, two neutrons. It's it's you know parts of the uh, core of the atom, the nucleus. Man, th these are giant, big, big honking things. They got a charge on them. So guess what? Alpha particles positively charged here, and made up like I said of these two protons, two neutrons, and um, from the atom's nucleus, they they from the decay of the heaviest radioactive elements, such as uranium, radium, and polonium. Remember that polonium-210 stuff? We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, so, hey, guess what? These alpha particles, they don't even penetrate skin, right? They're, they're really big, giant, lumbery things. They're, they're stopped by a sheet of paper. That's the good news. Bad news, if you get them inside of you, like if you got that polonium-210, if you ingested it, well, now it doesn't have to travel all that far because those big, heavy particles are inside right next to your cells where they can do a ton of damage. These things are like dump trucks lumbering through a, a party or something like that. So alpha particles, good news, easy to stop. Bad news, get them inside. They do a, they get do a huge amount of damage. Beta particles, these are um, electrons. Uh, fast. They're just ejected electrons. They're moving really, really fast. These are admitted by things like hydrogen-3, which is tritium, carbon-14, strontium-90. So these can penetrate a little bit more uh, as well. They're also charged. They have a negative charge. So again, they get stopped relatively easily by things. Those charges actually slow them down because they bump into things and get stuck, as it were. Um, so they say here these can be stopped by a layer of clothing or a thin layer of substance such as aluminum. Um, some beta particles are, are higher energy. They're just moving faster, and they can actually penetrate a little bit deeper. But again, these, like alpha particles, do their worst damage when they're ingested. Because now they're inside the body, and they don't have to do any penetrating. They're next to your cells where they can do massive damage. And then the fast thing would be neutrons. Fast neutrons, I should have written slow neutrons down here. But ejected neutrons, um, these would be these get ejected typically very, very early on in a nuclear explosion or in a nuclear reaction, a fission reaction. They burst, and then they're gone. Um, so these aren't things that generally you're going to run into, um, except at the moment of ignition of a nuclear reaction when it actually happens, typically. I mean, there's ways you could, but you probably have to work at a, at a nuclear center and handle some really exotic materials to encounter them. Otherwise, these are the two big particles we have to worry about, alpha and beta, A and B. All right. What else we got? Well, we got this electromagnetic radiation, which comes in a big span, but we only have to really worry about it once it becomes what's called ionizing. That means that these particles have enough energy that they come in and they wreck stuff. They strip electrons off. They smash into your um, molecules on the surface or interior of a cell, and they break those molecules. They ionize. They shred them. Uh, so non-ionizing radiation is all this stuff, right? You get a frequency coming off of your power lines. Radio and TV waves are have a slightly higher frequency. Microwaves at a slightly faster uh, frequency there. Infrared devices. Then you have visible light. So this light that comes in through your retina that you are using to watch this right now, that is a form of electromagnetic radiation. Non-ionizing. Doesn't wreck stuff. Until you get to ultraviolet, as we all know, UV rays can burn, right? Obviously, you go out in the sun too long and you get the UVA and B, and they'll burn you. And then we get up a, uh, even higher energy. These things are vibrating even faster, and you get up to X-rays. And then, I'm not sure why they put radioactive waste as a form of... Uh, <laughs> and this is... A, this is Anyway, 
This is a weird graphic. Uh, it does come to us courtesy of um, one of our government agencies. But at any rate, uh, actually what they meant to say out here is not radioactive waste because that could be anything, alpha, beta emitters, you name it, but um, is gamma rays. So gamma rays are just higher intensity ray, uh, electromagnetic radiation. And they can, they penetrate really, really well. They can go through many feet of concrete. They can go through all kinds of stuff. Obviously, x-rays go right through skin, right, and get absorbed a little bit by bones. That's why you see an outline of a skeleton when you look through a hand. Um, you see the bones. But uh, gamma rays penetrate even better than x-rays. So in that penetration, they're, they have the cap capability of doing a lot more ionizing or damage. Now, how do you protect yourself from gamma rays? Well, lots and lots of shielding or, or distance from the material that's actually... Uh, emitting those gamma rays. So we'll get into more of that in just a second. Um, these gamma rays, they're highly, highly energetic. They are weightless packets of energy called photons, okay? It's just it's just a, on the spectrum of electromagnetic radiation. Unlike alpha and beta particles, they say here, which have both energy and mass, gamma rays are pure energy. Gamma rays are similar to visible light, but have a much higher energy and frequency. And gamma rays are often emitted along with alpha or beta particles during radioactive decay. Gamma rays are radiation hazard for the entire body. They can easily penetrate barriers that can stop alpha and beta particles, such as skin and clothing. And gamma rays have so much penetrating power that several inches of dense material like lead or even a few feet of concrete may be required to stop them. Um, they can pass completely through the human body and they can do things like damage tissues and DNA. Okay, so... That's why we don't want to be around the gamma rays. So how do we make sense of a, of a chart like this, right? So this is actually comes from a website. You can go and you can plug in any city, any sort of atmospheric conditions, and any sort of megaton bombs. Now, a 10 megaton bomb, that's a big one. That's a monster. That's massively larger than the one that got dropped in Hiroshima or Nagasaki. Uh, so um, this is a pretty bad event right here. And then I... I set the conditions to say, well, what if it sort of blew towards my house? How much trouble would I be in? And the answer is a lot, a lot more trouble than I'd want to be in. But we're going to go back to the rule of sevens. Here's another rule of seven. With fallout, because of the nature of the atomic explosion, it creates very many uh, highly energized, very unstable radionuclides, which are radioactive uh, forms, uh, elements, right? And they decay very, very quickly. So if you had a um, thousand units of radioactivity, and we'll talk about what a rad and a rem is in just a second. If you had a thousand units of these after one hour, after two hours, you'd only have 480. So you can see we've lost just slightly more than half of the total radiative power, radioactive power of this in just one hour. And then after seven hours, we're down by a factor of 10. So with fallout, you get a tenfold decrease every seven hours. So after 48 hours, so we've been through several series. We've been through um, three series, seven series of seven here. So seven times seven is uh, 49. So after 48 hours, we're saying here, we're, our, thousand, our thousand units of radioactivity whew, has shrunk all the way down to 10. It's the good news. Okay, so what does that mean for us? All right, well, let's talk about this. So with radiation, so here's maybe on top, we see um, alpha particles and beta, they get stopped um, way out on the surface, but these gammas, they penetrate a lot more deeply here. What do you do? This is an old fallout shelter from the 50s or 40s or whatever, 50s, I guess it would have had to have been because um, the bombs are just being developed in the 40s. Anyway, 
What do they show you there? Uh, there's a lot of shielding around this. These people are underground. They have an air filter. That's to keep the contamination out. I'm going to talk about that, what that means, because that is a big deal. They got water down there and plumbing. Um, they've got a periscope, I guess, to see what's going on. They got a burning house up top there. All that's shredded. Uh, food, water, batteries, emergency oxygen, Geiger counter. So so that's what a, a 1950-style bomb shelter would have looked like. Uh, pretty good idea. Now, very few people actually have access to anything like that these days. So instead, what would we look at? Well, um, here in the red, we can see that if you could pick a place that's down in your basement, you want distance. So if that fallout's landed on the roof of your house, you want to be as far away from the roof as possible because distance is your friend. Time is your friend. So you're going to try and get as far away as you can. So here we see that um, on this, they've got a little earth ramped up here. So that's why they want to be over on this side of things. Even if there is radioactivity that's landed here, it's going to have to come through all of this um, material to get to them. So you want to be as far away. So if you're in your house and there's a fallout event, whether this is from a, a nuclear plant that's given up the ghost or, you know, melted down or something happened, or if there is a nuclear exchange of some kind, you want to be, if you can, if you have one, in the basement, in the center, and as far away from things as possible. Um, and if you had a, a, a Geiger counter or a dosimeter or some way of reading radioactivity, you would be able to tell even within that context, which is the safest place to be in possibly if, you're, if your machine could tell you something like that. Um, just as good, uh, you know, is here as an interior room if you do not have a basement. And as well, if you could put up um, things like books and furniture against a wall, it would create a little bit of, of separation from anything coming from this side. And as well, this zone here, because things these rays are going to either have to penetrate all the way down or they have to try and penetrate through from the side. So this is a little safe zone down here. And of course, here they actually have a shelter. So they've got some concrete all around um, or some, some material like that. Uh, they say here that if you have a one-story house, you get 90 to 95% protection. 90 to 95% protection if you can go down to the basement. If you have a two-story house, that goes up to 95 or even higher um, percent protection. So it's actually fairly protective, believe it or not to be just simply down in the basement, away from the walls, and follow some of these some of these basic rules here. Um, pile up stuff. You want stuff between you and whatever's going on out there in the world. And you just need it for how long? Not as long as you might think. Within seven hours, we've got tenfold less uh, radioactivity. After just seven days, we're all the way down uh, to just one one-hundredth of the original a dose, right? So, but obviously the first 14 hours is actually, that's your, that's your most, you're going to get most of the decay right there. So even if, even if you're in something really bad like this, um, you know, with that thousand rads per hour, that's bad. If you're outside, you're toast. Okay. Absolutely. No question about it. One thing I didn't point, I, I showed houses. What if you're in a city? Um, there you actually have even more protection because you can get to the center of a tall building and you could be up 10 stories and still 10 stories from the top. You'd actually be in really good shape there. You want to be away from the ground where all that radiation might have settled and also on the roof and then staying away from the porch or any other exterior place where some of that radioactivity and the fallout could have could have settled. So just, yeah, it's just distance. Just think through if you ever get caught in a situation like this, it's just how far away can you be from a surface outside? Obviously, you don't want windows open. You don't want any of this stuff blowing in because we're going to talk about contamination. That's actually the worst part of the story. 
more than the radiation. How do those relate? We'll get there in just a second. So, uh, how do we measure that? What 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 is a thousand rads? You know, we see that this big thing. What is a thousand rads per hour? What's a rad? What's a hundred rads per hour? How worried should I be? What are these measurements? Okay, so there's two ways that they go about measuring this. One, the rad is is um, a radiation absorbed dose. So your body, your tissues can absorb a dose of radiation, but so can concrete. So a rad is just a measure of how much radiation is being uh, ejected and absorbed by surrounding things. The REM is actually asking a question, though, of how much biological damage is being done. So even though we can see here all of these are baselined at one rad each, cross down these types of radiation here from X-rays, gamma rays, beta particles, thermal neutrons, which are slow neutrons, fast neutrons, or even alpha particles, there's a Q factor, which is an adjustment factor. So one unit of one rad of X-rays equals one rem of biological activity or, or radiation uh, potential damage there. Gamma rays, one for one. Beta particles, one for one. Neutrons, not so good. You have to scale up just even slow neutrons by a factor of five. Fast neutrons by a factor of ten. Alpha particles, if they get inside your body, a factor of 20. That's why polonium-210 is so bad. You might have heard polonium-210 because that's how uh, a Russian dissident was um, was executed. He was poisoned with polonium-210. It's, it's a really, really, really toxic substance. Really toxic. Little tiny, tiny, tiny amounts of it ingested. It will then just be in there bombarding your body with alpha particles and shredding uh, all your tissues in there. So um, that's why polonium-210 is so bad. It's an alpha emitter. And it's got a Q factor of 20. So even though it has one rad of radiation that you would detect, it's got a REM uh, of 20. So, yeah. Anyway, we want to avoid those things. But um, we can simplify this a little bit because um, if we... Yeah, so X-rays, gamma rays, beta particles. So, so really, um, those neutrons and those alpha particles we're really probably not going to get exposed to those unless we get into a situation where we go outside and we get some contamination on us. Because the neutrons, as I said, they're all gone at the moment of the explosion. The alpha particles can't penetrate in through your house at all. So as long as you're in a house and there's fallout going on and it's sealed and you don't have like open windows and stuff blowing in and stuff like that, that's where you'd want to seal things up with plastic if you could, if you had a broken window or otherwise couldn't. At any rate... um. You need to keep all that stuff out, and uh, otherwise we just have to worry about one rad equals one rem. And here's some other units up here. There's these things called gray and sieverts. Um, a sievert is 100 rems. A gray is 100 rads. Starts to get complicated. We're typically, we're not going to, the reason I bring up the sievert is that a lot of your dosimeters and Geiger counters are actually calibrated in sieverts. Um, so uh, that's what it's measuring. At any rate, let's carry on. So, uh, if you can't avoid neutrons and the alpha particles, um, then a rad is a rem, right? Um, they, they have an equivalent factor. So one sievert or about 100 rem, that's going to induce nausea. It'll reduce your right white blood cell count. You're not going to be happy if you get exposed and absorb 100 rems. Um, is, and that's over a fairly short period of time. If you had five sieverts or 500 rems, that's going to cause death for about half of those who are exposed to that much. So it's not cool. 500 rems, about a 50%. That's the LD50, the, the 50 lethal dose 50. At 10 sieverts or 1,000 rems, it's 100% fatal within weeks. Nobody survives that, and it is not a cool death. All right. 
So that's the radiation, though. We can actually um, avoid this relatively easily because if we said, wow, this 1,000 rads per hour, one hour out here is going to be 100% lethal because we're going to get 1,000 rad or rem, right? They're equivalent in this particular story. So if those are 100% lethal, let me move this down so we can see all of this. Uh, we definitely don't want to be there um, with that 1,000 rad going on. But if we had that 95% reduction because we're down in the basement, that 95% reduction brings us down to 50 rad or 50 rems per hour down in the basement. Still not cool, but within seven hours, we're only going to be getting five rads per hour or five rems per hour. So, so if you can, even in that worst orange cone down there, if you can just get inside, stay away, put some extra shielding up around things, right? So if you're in the basement like mine, I got a lot of junk down there. So you can create like a little fort for yourself and, and get more shielding use your uh, dosimeter or a Geiger counter to figure out if you're doing an effective job at blocking that. Again, all you have to do is just wait it out and you gotta just stay away from uh, sources. So, where's the problem in this story? So if we can deal with radiation, the problem though is this stuff called contamination. What's the difference? Contamination is very bad. Those are hot little radioactive particles that are either in the air, they're solids, which could be particulate in the air solids, um, or they're uh, liquids. If you get those inside your body, now you have a problem. Or if it's sitting right on your skin, now you have a problem. So there are ways to deal, just, you don't, first off, ingesting is very bad. You don't want any of these going in through your mouth. You don't want any going in through your nose. So if you are in a situation and you have to go outside and there is contamination out there now, right? Even if the radioactivity's decayed a long way, it's actually gonna be about 49 days seven periods of seven on days before the outside contamination is not that bad, right? So you don't want to be ingesting anything. So what do you need? You need a full face mask with respirator because you don't want any of these particles coming into your body. Secondarily, if you get things on your body, you're going to want to get those off. You're going to wash them off. You can use tape to pat them off um, without grinding them in your skin, all of that. But you really desperately want to avoid contamination, hot little particles. Reason being, those hot little particles you breathe it in, goes down into your lung, sits down there in one of your little alveoli, just blasting away and causing a lot of damage. Or it uh, somehow becomes absorbed through the body, through your GI tract, and goes into your system. Very bad. Um, so you don't want to get the contamination. Now, contamination, again, they're just little radioactive particles, and they're emitting whatever those particles are emitting. It could be alpha rays, could be gamma, could be beta, right? So we just want to avoid that as much as possible. So the way to uh, avoid all this is to simply not get those particles on you, but you may have to go outside. There could be reasons that if you're involved in a nuclear event where you, you got to go, um, and it could be you got to make it to the car to travel away from the situation. Maybe that you have to go out to get water or feed the animals, I don't know what, right? Whatever the story is, but you're just going to want to make sure you're not bringing those hot particles back in the house with you. That's the worst part uh, in this story. So to avoid the contamination threat, we had, um, they, see, I told you we've been talking about this a while. Back in 2011, uh, user Dogs in a Pile wrote us a nice article, and he spent a lot of time on a nuclear sub, um, so he knows what he's talking about. So he talks about uh, contamination control measures from his experience working well, within a nuclear environment. And as well, I wrote about the contamination threat here in 2014 because um, guess what? All these uh, hoopla going on with Russia right now was happening back then as well. Um, so I have a lot of context around that for people who want to read into that. So there's some 
links for you there. All right. Um, so avoiding the contamination threat, it's like this. Uh, you just don't go outside. You just don't. You just wait it out as long as possible. If you can't wait it out, you're going to have to suit up as best as possible. So you don't breathe it in. You get a full face mask, good P100 filters. That you don't want even the tiniest particles coming in. So you've all heard of N95s. We're going for the P100s here. They're canister masks and um, like that, and they do a much better job of blocking out those even really ultra-fine tiny particles. You want none of this stuff inside your body. When if you do go outside, you got to wear clothes or Tyvek suits that you can take off, leave outside, maybe rinse or hose off before re-entering if possible, if there's any way to have a hose system there with a sprayer on it. and Just make sure you knock all that stuff down and just you're not bringing it in the house. And then if you had a Geiger counter um, or equivalent somewhere, right near there you could check and see if you have any hot spots on you and and because if you do it might be a little piece that you missed use the tape get it off get it out of there uh, as well any areas that are really essential like your garden that you don't want to be contaminated so this is the problem after um after the chernobyl incident and it torched off and all this fallout came and it landed all over people's soils those soils are contaminated often for decades, it takes a really long time. Even though a lot of the radiation, radiation and radioactivity burns away quickly, there's a long residual tail of stuff, and you really don't want to be eating plants that have been growing, grown in soil that's contaminated. So the way you avoid that um, is you would cover up gardens and do things like that, where you know as much as you could. Plastic goes over your essential areas. Even if you had stuff growing, I guess you could always uh, just throw plastic over it and um, and then, you know, a few days later, peel it off and hopefully all the contamination goes with the plastic and goes away. Cheery subject, right? All right. Um, so the conclusions here, look, the nuclear events, they are quite survivable. You know, I, I read about, um, it was in the New York Times Magazine, they talked about these people who lived in Utah back in the 50s and there was a town that had been... Um, allowed they weren't even warned they were just downwind from a test range and 90 open air nuclear explosions had been torched off you know somewhere uh, upwind from them so it came downwind and um and so you'd think wow these people are all dead right and these people grew up there i remember reading the article they grew up in a time when um they thought it was normal that you would go down to the school nurse and there'd be people there in big suits who would feel your neck because they were looking for thyroid damage for anybody uh, in the kids in the school. So those were experiments that were run. 90 open air, 90 nuclear explosions drifting downwind um, all over this town to the point where people even said, oh yeah, you know, we had this some days it looked like it was it had snowed out there, you know. Uh, and what they noted was elevated rates of thyroid cancer in this population decades later. But I would have thought before I read this article, if you even lived downwind from one nuclear explosion, you were screwed. Uh, but in fact, no. Uh, so at any rate, it is quite survivable. Time and distance, those are your chief allies in this story. Avoiding contamination, though, that's the most essential and a lot more difficult to do over time. That's the harder part of this story um, because the little tiny particles could be anywhere. So you're, you know, that's that's the tricky part. So you're going to, some basic things, just get some basic things. Really helpful. You're going to want plastic sheeting to you know, cover, make clean rooms, um, create a, a separate portico if you are going in and out so you have a clean room in and out of the house, things like that. Um, tape off windows if you have any leaky sort of doors that, that aren't all that well sealed, you're going to want to seal them. Things like that. You're going to need full face mask respirators, full face. Um, potassium iodide tablets, and that's for the I-125, which is a gaseous uh, emission. It's in the air. 
uh, and that um, you absorb that and it goes, your thyroid loves seeing iodine. So boom, it just pulls it in. The potassium iodide simply prevents your thyroid from taking up that iodine because it's your body's already flooded with iodine. So that's the purpose of those tablets. They don't protect you from radiation. They just pretend your thyroid, prevent your thyroid from accumulating it because it's like, oh, iodine, <laughs> I love this stuff. Um, and so that's, uh, they just outcompetes that with the potassium iodide water and food inside your home, easily accessible. So you don't have to like go somewhere else. Um, and don't think your water is going to keep working if you're on city water in an event like this, or even that it's safe. So you're going to want, as soon as you hear about an event of some kind, you're going to want to store or have stored a lot of fresh water enough for at least seven days by the way I've put this out there. Uh, and then dosimeters, uh, absolutely important. So you know you have data in terms of what you're facing and how hot the situation still really is. Indoor Geiger counters, you want to want portable radios for news and stuff like that. Battery or batteries to charge uh, devices, especially you know anything for communication so you can know what's happening in the world. Um, and then cards and board games because uh, uh, these things are, I guess, pretty exciting for about an hour, and then they, they get boring quick. Um, so that's to keep you occupied. Now, we're only talking about any of this because of failed leadership in our country and in the world. There's no other reason to be talking about this that we're even here is regrettable. It's moronic. I have a lot of opinions about it. I'm not happy at all about being here. Not at all. But this didn't just arise recently. As you'll see in part two, if you follow over um, to me to the site, we have uh, a lot there uh, about, I've been tracking this for a long time. There are people who've been agitating for a war with Russia for a long time. Why? I don't know, um, but they have. So remember, it didn't have to be this way. Here's an exam- some examples of stuff that I've been writing about for a long time, so you understand I didn't just suddenly decide to talk about this, although I might have, uh, but I have been concerned about this for a while. Here's an article from 2014 uh, and the post-Fukushima era, what we learned. Uh, this is about the contamination threat, particularly from 2014. And then in 2016, we had another really bad moment of tension. And so um, I did have my personal preparations around that. Um, so so absolutely the case as well. If you want to come by the website, <clears throat> we've got great new membership plans. We have a whole new business model there. You can get... Um, we have an option to see part two for as low as $90 a year. That's $750 a month. That's... 27 cents a day. So um, just go there to peakprosperity.com membership and you will find those membership options there. Now, I really, really, really am um, not interested at all in what's been going on here in uh, politically. We've got a huge energy crisis that's unfolding. There's nothing we can do about that at this point in time. We've got an enormous political crisis that we only hope it won't go hot, right? Please, let's have this not go in, go hot. But uh, there, there's lots of things. I've got a lot of data um, we can talk about in terms of what is being promoted right now. I just guess I just wanted you to understand that um, you know a lot of people think nuclear war lights out. It's all over. I guess it is. You know, if, if every nuclear warhead flies. The whole world's just too hot for too long, and there's a nuclear winter, I guess. But otherwise, if there's um, just a few or limited exchange or something like that, again, these are these are survivable. I'll do my best if we get to that situation. Just go to the basement, use my Geiger counter, figure out where the least hot place is, hide away for for a period of time, and um, and then come out and hope for the best after that. But uh, we'll have to see how that goes. All right. Well, um, hey, that's all I have for you today here. And uh, sorry for the somber subject. Um, It is something I have been talking about for a while. 
And uh, just sorry we're talking about it again. It's just after everything, after the COVID failures, to be facing this level of failure right on its heels is getting cranky about the whole thing. That's putting it mildly. All right. Hey, I hope to see you over there at peakprosperity.com. Come on by. We're having great conversations. We'll see the rest of you next week. Everybody else, see you over there. Mm -hmm.